It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning, Next Movement Church, and may the blessings of the Lord be upon you this beautiful Sunday morning. We are so glad you chose to fellowship here again with us here at Next Movement Church in this virtual house of the Lord. Now, remember, here at Next Movement, we encourage every single believer to use the tools, the resources, and abilities that God has given us to do two things, to deepen our relationship with him and to deepen our relationship with those around us. And so we hope that by the end of our time together, you will know that this was a divine appointment in learning and spiritual growth. Once again, I'm your host here, Georgia Harris. We have the one and only Michael Harris on the line. Good day, Mike. Michael. Hey, everybody. Hey. I'm unable to start my video. <laughs> and I have no <laughs> idea why I can't. I wish I could help you, Mike, but I know. No, you can. Good. You have to do it on your end. Okay, try that. There oh, we go. Hi. <laughs> Perfect. So wonderful, Michael's on the line. And of course, um, of course, all of you teaching team from around the world, so glad that you're here joining us today on this first Sunday after Daylight Savings Time, which means that we are only two hours apart now instead of three. My life is better. Um, <laughs> so again, once again, good morning, Ben. Good morning, Ruby. Good morning, Elaine. Um, good morning. That are listening to us all across the world. The one and only announcements lady in Monica Scott. And of course, those of us who are tuning in from the UK, from the United States, and from anywhere else across the world, we love you all. Of course, we believe it's never too late to commence to learning something new, because we know the Bible study can take place where, church? Anywhere. 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 That's, that's exactly where we are. I even see Vienna Tugas on the line. Good morning, Vienna. And, and she's got her regular name today. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love it. Wow. Okay. So as yeah. we said, she is tech savvy. She's, a, she's so tech savvy. But anyway, um, we know that it could take place anywhere. So get ready for another drum roll, please. That's the kids <laughs> making noise back there. Self-proposing, head scratching, heart racing, page turning, brain bubbling, faith building, Bible study. If you're new here, we say welcome. If you've been here for a while, we say welcome back. Now we are in semester two week 28 which really means nothing to this group on the line we are in week number what monica do you know what week we're really in any guesses 28 we are in week number 28 but total weeks in the series is 55 55 <laughs> weeks in a series who does that so we are so glad that you spent your time is that all year well <laughs> and some we did a year Took some breaks. A year and some. the holidays. Started back in the new year with semester two, and we still not get into this topic. So we're, we're getting out this month. I don't know how, but we're going to get out. Um, so we are definitely still, we're not even refreshing our understanding anymore. We are tying up the loose ends on this topic. That's great. Thing. So, again, if you need a refresher, or you just need something to do, and you want a lot of learning and a lot of learning fast, I recommend that you go to the church website, nextmovementchurch.com. Under the sermons tab, you have all the options, podcast, video, um, all the recordings are there. So you can go back and listen to this entire series, the series in its entirety. Oh my goodness, I can't even, I wish I could even do a summary of all the great things we've covered, but it would take the entire day. So let's just go ahead and start where we are today. 
we are still in the third of the three critical biblical storylines that we have covered over this last over this last season. And so if we can recap what those three are, can anyone tell me what the three critical biblical storylines are that we've covered this year? Cosmic, Israel, Israel, and Jesus. And Jesus. Good. Perfect. And so we, I, I would bring the graphic back up, but you know what? We have so much to cover today, I won't do that. But yes, we have covered the three big biblical storylines that all thread the story of the Bible together. The cosmic storyline, which is the ultimate story of the universe, um, and, 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 the grand, and the grand narrative of why we end up needing a savior. We then move into the Israel storyline where we see how God starts to work out the plan for salvation through a particular family, which should be here to bless and extend that blessing to the entire world. And in the third storyline, we see the fulfillment of that in the Jesus storyline, which is where we have been and have been in the thick of for the last number of weeks. And so, of course, we know that the, that the John 3.16 of the Old Testament is Genesis 3.15 in this regard, where we see hmm. where we see Yahweh saying, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and he will strike his heel. And this is where God makes the promise to the serpent that the work that he has done will not go without, without punishment and without retribution. And so his, God's intention is to ensure that we will never be destroyed again through, through this massive evil because he will allow for a child, a Messiah, a savior to be born of woman. And this savior will come and defeat evil at its core, even when it seems that the child is being defeated. And so we see the fulfillment of this in what we call John 3.16, which is, anybody have that on the top of their heads, what that is? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Exactly. So we usually teach people this scripture first without understanding the anchor before it, which is Genesis 3.15. God makes this promise that this will take place. And then we see the fulfillment in John 3.16, where God sends his son to be born, to die, and, and to crush evil at its source. Amen? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have done the work on this. We've done much work on this. And so we're going to continue with our journey <clears throat> to explore the actual life and reign of the Messiah during his time on earth. And so part of that um, we have learned is this whole conversation around the liberation that takes place, that freedom from bondage that takes place, that we track through the gospels. And so... When we started speaking about Jesus's actual work, we used an I word to describe how the kingdom of God was being expanded on earth. And so does anybody remember the actual I word that we used? It was the inauguration, inauguration of the kingdom of, of God on earth, right? And so yes. we had defined inauguration in the broadest of terms. We, we defined Inauguration as what happens when you have a, uh, a formal change of government and a new person who comes into being that, that is going to carry on the reign and the rule of a territory or be the new rule and reign in a territory, but, and a system, I also say system, but we also talked about how it is like the exchange of old from new, that, it could, that inauguration can be something that's a little less formal, but a change in way or a change in doing from one way to another but more formally, it's like that formal pivot, that formal transition. And so when we look at Jesus's inauguration, we see the announcement and the transition that comes when John the Baptist goes to jail and Jesus starts preaching in the world, picking up the message, but also being the fulfillment of the message, saying that the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God has come, right? So in John's case, John was the herald but Jesus was the actual, bringing the actual kingdom to the territory. It's like, we are here. And so what we have done over the past few weeks is explored how Jesus's actions while walking the earth was not just the announcement of the kingdom of God, but the actual expanding of the kingdom of God to territories where people were held captive. He was expanding that reign. And so we've compared this even um, in the sense to, to an event here that took place in the United States. What was what was the one that we compared it to? When the president is inaugurated. Yes, and then we said there was a historical time where people were freed that they didn't know that they were free, but that announcement had to come oh. to them. What was that? 
That's right, Juneteenth. And so we, so if you need some an image in your mind to um, to think through how that took place, it's there was the Declaration of Freedom, right? But okay. even three years later, there were people who did not know that that Declaration had passed. And so it was take it took military might and armies and generals to go places to tell people you must free these people. They are free. And even in the freedom, the transition of to freedom was its own war and battle. And so what we see here in Jesus's expansion of the kingdom is that the announcement and the declaration is so, the transfer of power has taken place, but Jesus still has to go and free these people from this trifecta of physical, mental, and spiritual bondage. bondage. Jesus physically has to go places and tell the enemy, get out of here, get out of her, get out of them, let this go. And they constantly want to push back, but no, he's got the authority. And this is why <laughs> Deb's favorite example, why, why, why the spirits are like, please send us to these pigs. We have nowhere to go. Where they're like, we are legion. What you know, Jesus, why do you come to trouble us? Because the declaration has been made already that we are free. But the clear fact is that because you are free, it does not mean that the enemy is quick to release you into freedom. And so this is this is the offensive battle that Jesus is constantly in as he's expanding the kingdom in a very short window of time because he's got to get some stuff done by a certain time to fulfill the mission that he's been sent to on the earth, all right? So I hope we always remember that, that when we're in this section, we are thinking through it like the expansion of the kingdom comes in word and in deed. And that freedom of, of mental, physical, and spiritual bondage, we see in different capacities. Sometimes people are being oppressed and held by demons, and we hear those words, uh, that they're being held as territory. Sometimes we see that there is just there, there are physical ailments that people are being from because that is a part of the bondage of the territory. Sometimes there are just mental, mental things that are taking place, like mental onslaught and, and um, what I call it, philosophical onslaught that fights Jesus to stop the, the fulfillment of the expansion of the kingdom. And he gets this when he speaks to other authorities, like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees. He is up against the mental, psychological onslaught that does not want people to be free. So again, Jesus is on the mission to expand the kingdom, right? And he's going to free them physically, mentally, and spiritually. But that fight for liberation or and spiritual warfare takes place all through the Gospels, and that's where we are today. All right, everybody on, on board with that? Yeah. yeah. All right, we're on board. So let me see what we can get done before this morning is up. Oh my goodness, we're at 12 o'clock, so we shall see what gets done. All right, so let's, we're rereading Luke 13, I believe. Um, Luke 13, 10 through 13, and that'll get us, get us that foundation that we were in. Um, and let's see here, Luke 13, 10 through 13, this is a good example of what, of what I just described. It says here, on the Sabbath day, on a Sabbath day, because there are many for Sabbath days all the time. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, right? Preaching the message of the kingdom in one of the synagogues, making sense out of all the things that people have already read. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Okay, who crippled her? The spirit. Right. Demons. Right, so she's, so she's being held captive, right? She's being held, she's bonded by this demon. It's holding her crippled. And this is different than some other folks that we have read before that were like, maybe they were born with this infirmity. Maybe, they, remember, we've had these conversations. So in this case, we are actually confronting a spiritual force, right? And so she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. He told her, guess what? You're free. And then he put his hand on her and she immediately straightened up and praised God. Now let's jump down to 16, verse 16 really quickly to continue the story because there becomes an argument when he does this, okay? And it says here that the, what was said to him was then should that he was told by Pharisees that he should not be performing any kind of miracles on the Sabbath. 
Mm-hmm. So the law was more important than the freedom of the people, essentially is what they've mm-hmm. said. And this is this is that, like I said, that mental bondage, that philosophical bondage that these people were under, systemic bondage. And it says, and then should, and then Jesus says in this regard, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, so basically she's a, she's got a right here, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? It's like, what? Isn't the whole point of the Sabbath to be rest and free? So why wouldn't we free her on the Sabbath? Are you use your brain? And so Jesus is in this point, you see, he's confronting the thoughts and thinking of the day, the mental bondage these people are under because they're bound to the law. Right? So, and we see this again in many other places. This is one area. Now let's look again in Matthew 12. I'm going to flip over to Matthew 12. And I think we covered. Um, we covered this last week, but again, to show you the, the struggle that Jesus is up against by helping people to understand that they are bound mentally. Um, Matthew 12, 22 through 29, it says, then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute. Okay. What's his condition? Blind and mute. Mute. So we have a physical bondage here, but it was brought on by demon possession okay so another person who is in bondage and doesn't know they're free yet has not been declared free yet the kingdom is here but clearly Mm -hmm. the enemy is not ready to let this person go right so Mm -hmm. jesus brought a demon possessed they brought him a demon possessed man and jesus healed him so that he can both talk and see all right that should be a great thing but all and all the people were astonished. They're like, could this be the son of David? And we understand this term son of David quite thoroughly now, right? Mm-hmm. We understand that when, when they refer to someone as the son of David, they are referring to them as the what? The Messiah. Messiah, because David's throne was, was to be established eternally, right? Mm-hmm. So the only one if you're eternal then you have to be messiah not just king you have to be king of kings you got to be you got to be divinely installed because david had no children that actually lived up to the level of king and priest as he did but there is one to come from his line that would do that and this is what they're saying it's like wow is this the one that's actually going to be of the line of david that is going to be king and priest now Deep, deep, deep conversation before that. We talked about him, Jesus actually being of Melchizedek more than David, but we won't go back to that today. <laughs> we won't go that again today because that's what we to get out of. But anyway, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? And it said, but when the Pharisees dun, 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 heard this, they said, it is only by the Elzebub, prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Okay. It's like, that's got to be witchcraft. There's no way he's getting this done any other way. Now, that sounds nice or fair on the surface, but Mm -hmm. Jesus has to take them to task on that. Jesus knew their thoughts and said, huh, well, isn't that interesting? Well, let's think about that. If the devil is fighting the devil, how much kingdom will the devil still have? None. Thank you. So every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So as he's saying, he says, he says, look, if I am, am, if I am doing this by the authority of the, of the people of darkness, the prince of darkness, and I am taking out war on my own subjects, then I won't have a kingdom left because I'm ruining my own kingdom. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> and that's what Jesus and that's what Jesus confronts. And he said, so if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. So how can his kingdom stand? Right. Because you're supposed you're supposed to be getting more people for the kingdom of Satan. There you go. And driving <laughs> driving out the ones that are already there. That's what, we are at war with ourselves. We cannot. We I can't be. I can't win if I'm fighting my my own team. Can you imagine on a football field you see teams clashing and they don't fight the enemy? They turn around and fight themselves. Well, yeah, we're yeah. 
silly. And that's what Jesus' point is. He's pointing out. He's like, how silly is that? That, I'm, that I fight my own home team. And he said, so if I drive out demons by a Beelzebub, then by whom do you drive them out then? <laughs> Jesus throws in sarcasm on top of it. So, so that if I'm doing this, if I'm getting results doing this by the power of Beelzebub, then whose power do you drive things out of? I don't see any results. <laughs> any results. So he, of course, confronts them and confronts all the things that they are and they say they are. And he said, so then they will be your judges. All right. So if, so, uh, which is really even deeper than we're talking about, because if he's saying, if they claim that they're, that they're doing things in the name of God, in the name of Yahweh, then boy, who? Wait till he gets to judge who you really are then. Yeah. Lots, lots of shots fired. That's what I can say. Shots fired. All day. <laughs> Just shots fired. So, um, so Jesus actually takes us out. And then of course he talks about the offensive battle that takes place in freeing people. Like we were talking about that spiritual Juneteenth thing. He says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, if I'm actually on the right side and I'm in the right kingdom fighting for this and I'm driving out demons with that power, then you better know that the kingdom of God is here with you. That's all the evidence you need. So he declares to them again, oh, the kingdom's already here. Whether you acknowledge it or not, but just know that that's what's taking place. And then he says, or again, so he's, and he gives it to them a different way. He says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he can plunder his house? Mm -hmm. So again, this op is like, if, you're, oh, if you have some, something in your possession, we clearly have to bind that strong, per the strongest person in the house to take the possessions, right? Mm -hmm. So this, again, if you're looking, this is not a, this is not a friendly exchange, right? Mm -hmm. This is an, an offensive battle. It's a fight. And he's saying that for him to get people free, to take things that are captive in these home, in this territory, it is a fight for him to go in and, and free those folks. It is a battle, offensive spiritual battle to go in and take folks. So again, I'm not going to spend any more time on this one because we did talk about this mostly in detail last week, but I did want to point out the types of language, um, type of language Jesus uses in both of these passages. That's what I'm saying here is showing you the type of language, because if you notice that in both of these stories, Jesus describes his ministry of healing, not in the language of wellness and medicine. Hmm. So you're reading it and it will say this person was deaf and mute or blind and, and, and mute or this person had an illness of this sort or that sort, right? Mm -hmm. But right. the but that person being delivered from those illnesses was not in the context of wellness and medicine because it's every time he talks about it, he talks about it in the language of confrontation and liberation from the spiritual powers of evil. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Just look at it again. I'll just back up. I'll just back up just a little bit. Luke 13, 6. Then should not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? What was wrong with her? Remember what was wrong with her? She was crippled. She was crippled. He did not say, we healed her from her sickness and disease, and she's now well to move forward and live a long life. To get in here and go to war and free this woman. Mm -hmm. This is a confrontation, a liberation. He went in to take her from Satan's camp. Amen? Yeah. You look again. Go back there to Matthew 12 again. You see it again. Like when he talks, when he's talking to them, he's talking to them with this conversation of confrontation. How could this be the son of David? Okay, I'm healing people. People get healed. He's doing it by demons. Oh, whoa, this is a kingdom conversation. If my kingdom's divided, how can I win if I keep, if I fight my own subjects and fight my own, my own warriors? That's silly. There's nothing about the actual physical healing that gets referenced in his conversation. It's just that it's just the demonstration or the expression of what's actually really taking place, which is a fight for the freedom of the kingdom. Is that clear? Does that help? Yeah. All right. All right. So like I said, <clears throat> Jesus describes his ministry, his actual work of healing 
not in the language of wellness and medicine in these in some of these cases, but in the language of confrontation and liberation from spiritual powers of evil. So it appears that if Jesus viewed his healing as a kind of offensive battle, it was a fight against the spiritual forces of death and evil, right? Death is a result of evil. And this is why he placed his commitment and dependence on the Father at the center of his day every single day. So when we talk about Jesus being in prayer and all, it just sounds warm and fluffy and religious, but you have to understand that's not why Jesus was out there praying like that every day. His, he had to move with the Father. He said, because there was no going into battle without the blessing of the crown. <laughs> Does that make sense? There is no going into battle without the blessing of the authority. He needs the, the blessing of the authority and the direction of the authority to move forward into battle every day. He depended on the father because he had to, he needed the every, every single step to move the kingdom forward every day. Amen. So <clears throat> let's explore that a little bit. Um, while we have a little time left, let's go ahead and explore that. And we see what I'm, the thing that I'm describing today um, is going to give you a more practical, more practical thinking around your prayers. And I would say, and this morning, as I was listening to Sister Ruby pray, I felt that level of confrontation in the spirit. There's a level of confrontation that she was hitting up against. She was hitting up against the enemy, hitting up against mm -hmm. the fights of evil, hitting up against, she was battling them offensively, pushing forward. And that was happening because, and Jesus did the same thing and he was doing it even with the most famous prayer in the new Testament. So we've talked about the most famous prayer in the old Testament, which is what? Oh, my father. What? Oh, Ruby got it. She's ahead of the game. The, so the most, the most famous one in the old Testament is the Shema, right? Mm -hmm. the Hebrew Shema. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in the new Testament, sister Ruby just said it. It is, it is when we talk about the Lord's prayer in the, in the new Testament. And we do this as a level of religious exercise, but I need you to pay attention to what he's actually saying in the prayer. It's not just activity. It is him setting up for the offensive every single day. He says, when you pray. So let's go to Matthew six. We're going to read nine through 13. And I'm going to drop back into this conversation after we read it. But um, Matthew six, nine through 13 reads like this. And you may read it as well, because you probably got it memorized. Um, and that last period about thine is the kingdom power glory was actually added later on when they formalized it as a prayer, just as you, so you're aware. But anyway, it says this then is how you should pray. So when you go to address the father, when you go to address the kingdom, here's what you should be doing. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. God bless the king. God bless our father. You know, when they, whenever they approach the, whenever you approach the royal royalty, don't they always start with some level of a proclamation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? God saves the gracious queen. Oh yeah, you you approach with a problem. And so this is, our, but fortunately as children of God, we come this way. Our father who is in heaven, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Address him. And then it was your kingdom come. This is the mission. This was the mission always. Bring your kingdom here. Your will be done. Your intentions, your thoughts, your plans on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever this looks like here, we want it down here. We want your rule, your leadership, your plan to be just as it is in heaven. We want it. We want that in our lives down here. And it says, give us today our daily bread. Right, give us the things that we need to be sustained and forgive us our debts. It's important that forgiveness comes first. Forgiveness our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So it's like come to him with forgiveness in your heart for those who have harmed you. Ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness. Right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Not hypocritical when we come. And it says, and lead us not into temptation, and but deliver us from the evil one. Let's look at that. <clears throat> and so that, let's stop right there because that's really the totality there. So in this daily prayer, Jesus presents God's kingdom as arising, invading earth, right? 
It's like, we want what the kingdom, as it is in heaven, we want it down here. Invade us. Expand your kingdom here. We want to be, we want that to be mirrored here. And so it says, and, and, and he wants that in and through his own mission. He wants God's mission to be fulfilled. And, he's, and then he invites his followers to pray that God will and that God's will and purpose be, be more made manifest here on earth, that we're actually able to see the kingdom manifesting on earth. It's, um, it's, it's almost like when you look at a new development, like whenever you see a new city developing or territory or area, you know when there, there's a particular builder that goes into a neighborhood because the buildings look the same, the, the, the parts of the territory look the same, the way that they operate look the same. We have that phenomenon here with outlet malls. You can always tell what outlet mall builder built our mall based on the outline, the look, the kinds of stores that come, the, the atmosphere. We know the premium outlets here, wherever they land, because they are invading our territory with their culture. And so this is what the ask is. He invites his followers to pray that God's will and purpose be made manifest, invade our culture on earth. And if you go back and read the entire, and this is actually attached to the Sermon on the Mount, if you're wondering. So if you want to go back and do some reading this week, read the entire Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7. And you'll see how Jesus establishes God's kingdom through the behavior of the followers. He starts telling them, what does it look like to live as a kingdom citizen in Matthew 5 through 7? He gives a lot of instruction there. And if the followers behave as he lays out, then they are continuing the war against evil and expanding the kingdom on earth. Hear me. When we behave as believers, when we are following the instructions that Jesus has laid out, that the word has laid out, that the father has laid out through passages, we are not only aligning ourselves with a, with a faith. What we are doing is expanding the kingdom of God on earth because it lives and breathes in us mm -hmm. so that's your responsibility when we say we are ambassadors for christ you are showing up and people should know you because mm -hmm. of how you show up in the world mm -hmm. you ain't gotta wear just jesus clothes all day long and walk around with your bible to be seen and know people should see and feel the difference in you yeah because you are expanding the kingdom of god and waging war against evil by your behaviors and by following the instructions. Amen. Amen. You are territory. You are territory. I'll say it again. You are territory. You're not just expanding territory. You are territory. Okay. So let me let me go ahead. I'm listening. I was just going to ask you about in Luke 11 that John said that when John asked that, to, you know, to teach them how to pray, right? Yes. Is this the com combined to Matthew 6? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jesus in Luke 11, when he's teaching on prayer, he, he, we find this same passage here. And it's at the top of Luke 11 there. I'll even look there. It says, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Again, how do mm. we reflect the values, principles of the kingdom? Teach us, teach us what that looks like. Teach us how to say it, walk, behave, and, and pray to God the way that, that connects us to the kingdom. And that's, he says, when you pray, say it, Father, you know, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom comes, I will be done. He goes through the same prayer. Give us this daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, right? But deliver us from evil. And everything that we read today was around that delivering people from evil. Mm -hmm. Lead us not into temptation. And we covered the temptation <laughs> in depth, right? Remember we spent, we spent a few weeks just talking about the wilderness temptation of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So don't lead us into the Lord. Don't lead us into that, into that testing if unnecessarily, but deliver us from the bondage that we are with the evil one. Deliver mm -hmm. us, get us out of this, free us out. June us out. Come get us out. Deliver us from all the bondages that we're still subject to because he's not ready to let us go. Not because we're not free, but because he's not ready to let us go. Mm -hmm. 
right? That's the battle. He's not ready to let us go, so we actually have to go to war. We've got a battle to get free. He just He's not going to just free you. Good question, Ruby. And great reference. That is the preference reference. Great job on your part. Okay. So that was so that should pretty much tie up some of the thoughts that we had from last week. So yeah. I'm going to pivot with the time that I have left. I'm just going to pivot our conversation to start talking about how Jesus begins to establish the kingdom in Jerusalem. So we have this, this conversation of, of starting to establish the kingdom in the hearts and minds of people. But there is this establishing of the kingdom in Jerusalem, the actual physical place of Jerusalem that matters to us. And, and you may be wondering how it's significant to the conversation on greater evil, but you have to know that this is being aware of the significance of timing. Jesus had very specific timing that he had to get this done in. He was on a mission for real. And when we think about Jesus and mission, we think religious mission. Oh, mission. We're going out. We're going to heal the sick, touch the poor, kiss babies, build water wells, you know, all this, all this UNICEF kind of mission stuff. Jesus was on mission like MI, Mission Impossible, you know, agent stuff. He was, he, he had something to do. He had something he had to complete before a particular point in time. And he had to do whatever it took to get it done, even provoke people to wrath in some cases <laughs> because he had a timeline. And I want to point this out because I don't think as we talk about Jesus's ministry that we really talk about the timeline, the, the aggressive timeline he was under and what he had to do to get it done and that he was aware of the timeline. He knew that what the time was. So I'm going to try to stick some of this in um, right now. Um, and we'll probably end up picking some of, some of it up next week because we do have to do communion. But I said, as we've been reading, every moment in the part of, in every moment in this part of Jesus's story is pre-planned and strategically executed. I want you to get a hold of that. There was no willy-nilly moments. Jesus had, it was pre-planned and strategically executed for him to get to the point of the cross. And Jesus intentionally timed his kingdom expansion movement to come to its climax during the Passover. He timed it. You're probably wondering, how do you know? Oh, well, I guess I have to show you. <laughs> I guess I have to show you. So let me, let me start that. Let me start that conversation. So during this time, he made public challenges, a lot of public challenges to leaders who governed in the Jerusalem temple. He was taking them the task every single day, no mercy. And his announcement and symbolic destruction of the temple was a prophetic warning that their days as Israel's leaders were numbered. He was, he was attacking them as much as he was attacking Satan, as much as he was attacking the, those who were holding people captive. He, he was headfirst in the offense. And, and these leaders in Jerusalem, these leaders in Israel, and these leaders in Israel were no different. He attacked them head on. And so let's read the sequence of events in Mark 11. Let's see how many we can get in, but let's read the sequence of events in Mark 11. And we can see how Jesus progressively just condemns the current structure and operations of the house of David. And I, and I love the fact that it's so particular. He's so thoughtful. Ah, the Bible misses nothing. All right. So let's go to Mark 11. I'm just going to read through it and see where we are, see where we can, we can get off the train today and we'll pick it up again next week. And so it reads Mark 11 and we're reading through as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you're going to find that there's a cult tied there, which no one's ever written. And so I want you to untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here shortly. Just tell them. It's like, hey, it's like, I'm sending you to so-and-so's house to go get some eggs. Don't worry, just show up. When so-and-so answers the door, they say, why are you here? Just tell them, my mom already called. And she said that, that I'm supposed to pick up some eggs. And, and they will hand them to you and you're going to be on your way. Okay? That, it was that simple of a conversation. 
and they went and found a colt outside in the street tied to a doorway and they untied it. And some people were standing there and asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread the branches they had cut in the fields. So we already know where we're going with this. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're in celebration now. <clears throat> blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Here we go again with this David connection. They are connecting him as Messiah in the most important way, right? Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he just came and scoped the scene out. And the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Okay? And seeing in the distance a fig tree, a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. So we, we had this conversation earlier this year too, didn't we? <laughs> About the pretense of the fig tree. And we know that, so this was a great conversation earlier this year. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Pretentious tree. And his disciples heard him say it. So they heard him curse the tree. They were all like, what's wrong with Jesus? <laughs> Mm -hmm. so like, what's wrong with Jesus are you so upset about okay so it didn't have no figs it's not even supposed to be season for figs yeah it was looking like you would have something but you know curse the tree why yeah but um go ahead Beth no uh, regarding the fig tree right yeah. it is not um it's not the season for figs right right and Jesus goes ahead and he and he um curses the the fig tree what it tells me is that we are not the only people or things that are having conversation with Jesus or God, because yeah. the fig tree must have been having conversation with Jesus, pretending to have figs, right? And didn't have it. I, I think um, if you, I'm, that's how I'm looking at it, because... If it is not the season for figs, right? How are you just going to go there and curse the tree and you know it's not the season for figs? That's all. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? It's not the season for figs, but the fig tree, and I see Shannon said, I'm going to have her talk next. And so not the season for figs, but you're acting like you've got figs. Yes. And I'll tell you this. Oh. Okay, let me ask you this. When is okay? Elaine's going to answer this first. I know it. So Elaine, here you go. What is man? When is mango season in Jamaica? I think it's summer. I know she's thinking about it. When are the when are the months for mango season in Jamaica? When do we get mangoes? Ruby, Elaine, Bev, anybody? I think I it's think June. June. I don't June, know. June, July, June. Okay. Right. So if we start getting mangoes in June. We stopped seeing mangoes when? Around October, End of September. Okay. So we have an actual season where mangoes produce, right? Right. Okay. If you don't live there on the island and you live in anywhere where we all live right now, you're expecting when you go to the grocery store in the summer months that you're going to get mangoes and they're going to be good. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So they're summer fruit. We expect to see them during that time. Right. I have some seasonal fruits I appreciate. Grapefruits in the wintertime. I I love citrus here in the wintertime. And I love mangoes in the summertime because I'm expecting them to come from great places. About a month ago, less than a month ago, um, I noticed that there were still a lot of mangoes at the grocery store. And I was buying mangoes every single week, as you all know, because you would see me eat them after church all the time. And so I was eating mangoes every day, every every weekend. And there came a point where we got some mangoes and they all looked good. They Some of them smelled good. Some of them didn't have a smell. 
but some of them did smell good. But every mango that I cut after a certain point at the store was terrible. It mm -hmm. didn't taste good. It was, they were, they were, they were rottening deeper, deeper, closer to the pit than, and the surface was, was still too firm. Like they would, and they wouldn't force right either. So, you know, when you can leave them for a couple of days in like a dark place or just leave them on the counter over time, they'll ripen over the next few days. Some of them would go like a week and they wouldn't ripen. And there came a point where I actually looked and said, I'm not buying any more mangoes. Don't buy any more mangoes this season. Because it's not mango season anymore. And these are unnatural. <laughs> right. So they're unnatural and they're not produced. They're not the quality that we're expecting anymore. I don't want to see another mango here until next year. There are still mangoes in the grocery store, but they're, they have them in cold storage and they're pre they're pre frozen in a certain way. And you know, they're, they're there to have longer shelf life, but the quality, but what you're getting is not the mango that you're expecting. So mm -hmm. I would eat, I would put mango in my mouth and be disgusted because it was not what it was pretending to be. And if you're hungry, that's a frustration. <laughs> okay, Pastor Georgia, can I ask this, this question? Because I'm just thinking of Jesus was using as a teaching tool for the Israel yep. to teach them about the fig tree, uh, use it as a lesson to them. Yes, it is absolutely a lesson. Okay, you're, you're on it and I know Shannon's gonna answer it. Go ahead, birthday girl. Uh, no, I just wanted to add to that. And yes, Andrew Ruby, you're, you're on it. I, it, it is definitely a lesson. Um, I like this parable very much, actually. It's not a parable, but, um, I like this experience, um, that Jesus goes through very much because it's really just getting back to the root of what is being presented. Right. Um, and when we talk about what's being presented in this case, you know, Jesus is hungry. Of course it is a frustration. So it becomes hangry at some point um but it's just this idea of he knows that it's season yes um but there is a tree pretending to have fruit there's a tree that's mm -hmm. pretending to bear um and when he walks up to this tree and there is no fruit um he curses it and says you will not you will not be able to bear fruit again um because it's this idea of the people not being actually bearing the correct fruit in Christ or in the doctrine, right? And this idea of people pre presenting well, um, presenting well in discipline, presenting well in disciplinaries, presenting well in doctrine, but not actually bearing fruit that's evident to the walk with God. Um, and then I think if I remember correctly, I have to read a little bit more with this one but i'm pretty sure he goes and like flips tables after this so it's like it's just an add-on to the already frustration of things not being used for the correct allotment and the correct doctrine in the correct way so here's where shannon could have just closed the day for me because this seems confusing to the disciples when mm -hmm. this takes place what well jesus it's a tree but immediately after this you mm -hmm. see the manifestation of what Jesus gives symbolism to. Mm -hmm. They walk here in verse 15. You see it. I'm yeah. reaching Jerusalem. So he curses this tree, steps mm -hmm. into Jerusalem. <laughs> I got to finish reading this because this in a mad mood. In a mood, right? In a mad mood. He's already hangry, right? And But the symbolism here is so rich because he comes in, he shows the fulfillment of this by walking into Jerusalem. It's almost like a primer for their brains so that they could see what's really happening in Jerusalem. So on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And they would not allow anyone and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So he's tearing up the temple area right now because there are merchants everywhere buying and selling like this is a flea market, pretending that they are giving people what they need for sacrifice to God. Pret pret showing all the, this is the best thing that you need. This is the best type of dove. This is the best type of this. But really, it is just pretense for them to make money. But, you know, when you hear this preach, it doesn't tell you, well, nobody talks about um, the people that are selling things. Everybody wants to pitch only on the gambler or the, 
Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, nobody talks about um people selling anything. They said that uh the whole thing here is that there were people gambling. You know what I mean? Every time I've heard that preach, I've never really taken in that um, people were actually selling anything. Oh, yeah. See, we just read it. Temple courts. People, right. But the thing that goes in your head is, is a little bit different. Well, and we're not even done with it. Look at it. And then he taught them. And, and then he taught them. And he said, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer? For who? All nations. It's going to be all nations again. Mm -hmm. so it's not just for who? Not for the Israelites only, but oh. for the Jewish people, but for all nations. Here we go again. So, and we see this at every juncture when we talk about him in the kingdom is that he's correcting the narrative that God is here for us all. You know, he's making that clear that the kingdom is here for all of them. And so he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but mm -hmm. you have made it a den of robbers, fig tree. And so this, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. They're like, shut him up. Oh my God, shut him up. And for they feared him because, but they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching and it says here that when the evening came jesus and his disciples went out of the city and guess what in the morning as they went along they saw the fig tree had withered from its roots oh what a nice way to tie up a story huh he starts with the fig tree and says you're never going to bear fruit again we're going to cut this cut Basically, you're gonna you're you're shutting down. You're gonna die at the root. You will never bear fruit again for this pretense. He goes into Jerusalem, and he cuts it at its root. Hmm. Not a den of robbers. Not these. He brings the correct teaching. He brings the authority of the kingdom. He brings the offensive battle to the psychological, and corrects the thinking of the people. And now they want to kill him instead, but they're afraid. And he leaves. And then what do you see? The actual fig tree has withered. And that's exactly what he did to their authority when he came into the temple. Yeah. We could just leave it there for today if we have to. And we will. And it says in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. And I wish that, and Peter remembered and said, Jesus, he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And he says, have faith in God. You think that's something? <laughs> Wait till you see the work that really got done. That's what Jesus says. Oh, 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 touche, my child. <laughs> he says, Wait till you see what's really happened. Because remember, he cleared the temple. He cleared the money out of the temple. And he says, truly, if I tell you, and anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Because remember, he passed authority to his disciples. And yeah. therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, because it's an offensive battle and you're getting the blessing of the kingdom when you go, whenever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Because when you're asking in prayer, what were you asking for? Our Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Mm -hmm. Your will be done. Yeah. Yeah. Earth, as it is in heaven. Give us what we need to go into this world. And forgive us our debts, anything that we've done against you. Because we've already forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, God. But deliver us from the evil one. Because you have gone this way, whatever you're asking in that space, believe it and it will be yours. Mm -hmm. That's the battle. That's the offensive. That's what Jesus is about. And he says, and when you're standing in prayer, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. He, he, make sure he makes that clear. Forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you from your sin. 
So I, I'm going to pause there for today because there's more to the scripture that I would like to address, but I think we need to, we need to come back to it because, oh my gosh, because there's like the greatest clapback of the century that takes place right after this. Okay, Shannon, for you, the greatest clapback of the century. And then they arrived in Jerusalem and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, he came, they said, teachers of the law and the elders, they came to him, they ran to him. And they said, by what authority do you do these things? Again, who put you in charge? And he said, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? Again, he gets questioned again, right? Just like, oh, and last time they just told him, oh, it's by Beelzebub that he does this, right? They assigned that, ascribed it to Satan. So now they come to him instead and say, who gives you the authority to do what you just did? Who told you you could come in here and clear this place out? Who told you that you're capable of doing this? And Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Now here's Jesus, I love him. I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. You know this is a trap. John's <laughs> baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? He asked them a question. He says, what do you think about John's baptism? Hmm? Do you think that, that that was from heaven? Or do you think that that was just human done? He just was doing it out of his own strength. And they discussed it among themselves. Oh my gosh, phone a friend, right? They're, they're jeopardying right now. And they said, it, and they were discussing among themselves and said, if we say it's from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? Because remember of all the things that John had said, he was the herald, right? That this is the Messiah and that, that this person, I don't, I'm, I don't deserve to untie his shoes and that he, that this is, I don't deserve to baptize him because if they acknowledge that, then they have to acknowledge everything else that John had said as the herald about the kingdom coming. But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they were afraid that they were going to get stoned, beat up, cursed out, because the people believed that John was a prophet. So they were stuck, weren't they? Look at the conclusion. So Jesus answered. So they answered Jesus and they said, we don't know. We don't know if it was heavenly or human. We don't know. And so Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Like, if you don't know if John was of God expanding the kingdom and that he was a prophet, then I don't want to tell you what authority I'm doing this with. And we're done here. Clap back. So I'm going to leave that right here um, because we still haven't got to the place where we taught, where, where I identified for you exactly how I know that this was a timeline issue and that Jesus had to provoke them in these ways because he had a deadline. So we're going to pick up and talk about the deadline starting next week. We do have to cover, cover communion this week. So I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the devotional music. I hope that this is helping, that it's still, we're still feeding your knowledge base as we go and that you're getting new nuggets as we go. But um, anything you want to chat about, we'll talk about in after hours. But I will see you after this um, and I will see you right for communion. All righty.
prepare to take our elements together today. Um, let's just go ahead and say a quick word of prayer. Loving Father, your son Jesus has come to us today in word and in spirit. And we thank you, God, for every opportunity we have to be connected and charged to serve the kingdom and move, move your agenda forward in every word and every deed and every action, God, in every reaction, God, in every encounter that we have in our days and in our lives. That God, that our ability to breathe your air says that we still have work to do in this world. And that, Father, that we take that mission seriously every day, God, that, that every encounter we have in this world is to expand your kingdom, God, even if it's just by giving good to others around us, being a smile, God, being, being a good citizen, being responsible civically, God, whatever it is that we do with our day, that it bring glory and honor to you. So right now, God, as we are in this moment of communion, we celebrate both Jesus' death and life. We in this bread in this cup, and we're going to eat today in remembrance of you. We're going to drink in remembrance of you, and know that God, that you are making us holy and bringing us to perfection. And so, if you want to know that when we stand before Him, when He comes to judge the living and the dead, that you can say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant," that you've been faithful over few, and now be ruler over many. And so, now we say all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our our Savior, Yahweh. We pray. Amen. And so now we said, stated in Luke 22, 14 through 20, when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And so after taking the cup, he had taken, he had given thanks and said, and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, the before and after this kingdom. Whew. And he took the bread and he gave thanks. Thank you, Lord. And he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
you may consume of the body of the Lord. And in the same way, after supper, he took his cup saying, this is new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You drink ye all of this in remembrance of me <clears throat> and you may consume of the cup of the Lord. For after, so as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the entire church says, Amen. 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 So before you leave today, let's go ahead and say, thank you for sticking around a little longer today. We have so much ground to cover, still so much more to come. But let's say a word of benediction over you to bless you into your week. And it says, for all the promises of God, find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And the whole church say, Amen. 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 So thank you for joining us again here at Next Movement Church. Again, we are doing our best to get through this series. I don't know how successful we'll be before Advent. So um, we're doing our best to, to fast track here. But if you have questions, comments, please drop us something down in the chat at some point today. We will love to get back to you with our answers. But now as we get ready to go into our after hours time, um, we just want to say good God bless you and bless you and hope to see you again in the in the coming future. So again, guys, let's do what we always do. Let's say a good hearty goodbye to Facebook. Say bye, Facebook. Bye, Facebook. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.